Hello and welcome to episode 175 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and with me in the studio, we have, uh, I think we're still recording, God, we're live streaming this, so uh, I guess there's video proof that you're both here. Welcome to the show, boys. Uh, Brandon Stevens, Ricardo Benavides. That guy right there, Brandon. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be here, and I'm just happy to be with my boys recording the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Um, it's uh, it's a beautiful fall day in the Northwest, and I couldn't ask for anything more to be with you guys. Yeah, man. Yep. yep. Happy to be here. Uh, yeah, so we're on episode 175. This is crazy, man. Uh, I have a great guest today. I'm super excited about this. It's, uh, his name's Aaron Baker. Uh, he's a... He's every like I literally couldn't even write down all of the titles this guy has. He's an author. He's he was a former motocross champion or a, a you know professional motocross rider. Got injured um, back in 1999, and yeah, I mean he's just killing it now. This guy walked across. Like, so he got movement back after his injury, and he's still yeah. It, it was I mean he had the pretty much the same injury as you too. In the yeah, same area, same level, like same, yeah, real, real close to the same level, and uh, Dang. yeah, it's wild, man. Like, yeah, he's he, inspirational guy. Yes, he's super inspirational. Walked across uh, Death Valley. Yeah, like what? And I was like, oh, do you guys have like an RV out there or something? That's what I was like, no. I'm Baby like, I wouldn't bucket. do this without an RV. He's yeah, like, yeah. no, we just, I, I had a thing basically so that the cameraman could like put me in this like little stroller essentially like a, a, like a huge stroller to like run me out of there if something went sideways so um, how far are you gonna run but yeah 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 i don't know um though that's a that's a pretty cool story and a, like a just you know the just keep battling the adversity and proving people wrong is it's yeah. a cool story it's a great story because he is. kept it so real yeah for sure yeah. um yeah, you know, the funny thing, not funny thing, but uh, so I saw an interview with him that he had done with uh, like somebody on YouTube, another former motocross guy, and he was talking about how two weeks before his accident, he had he had, had another crash that mm. he, you know, crashed, kind of looked down at his feet and he was like wiggled his toes because he was like, if I can wiggle my toes, I'm okay, right? And he's, he's like, I'd never done that before, though. And I wiggled my toes. I was fine. I got up. But I'd never, ever done that. And then two weeks later, I end up paralyzed. So you had a like, premonition. It's crazy. And then that made me think mm-hmm. that a girl that we went to high school with had gotten in, like, a small, like, rear, she had gotten rear-ended or something. And uh, was wearing a neck brace around school. And... I remember just like everybody was kind of like, oh, she's just like milking this or whatever. Like she's not really hurt or whatever. And she kept taking it on and off. And I remember like grabbing it and like we we're all like hanging out in the like in the commons area or whatever and uh, put the put this neck brace on like a week before my accident. I was just like, damn, this feels kind of weird. Like a week later, I'm yeah. in a freaking halo I mean, brace. I don't I don't know, man. I mean, it it's a it's a large coincidence sure it is man but yeah. it is like kind of crazy that that happened i've and i've talked to a few other people like in the spinal cord injury community since then yeah just like putting that together and like ask them about it and they like three other people have been like yeah i had like a similar like little strange thing happen <clears throat> it's like well 
Well, who was that woman that went to that bridal <clears throat> shower and was going to the bridal shower and she had that <clears throat> premonition about the accident? Oh, that mm. was uh, Angela Rockwood. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy, man. Brain, uh, Speaking on the brain, I mean, Aaron uh, has a pretty powerful one. Absolutely. And he uses his power of positive thinking and thought Mm -hmm. to accomplish a lot. Um, It seemed like there was a lot of things that he was told that he wasn't going to do, but he had it in his mind that that was not the case. Right. Um, So it it goes to tell you maybe the power of positive thinking and affirmations can certainly um, not hurt. Well, Absolutely. you know, a lot of it is um, the will to get up every morning and face the day, no matter how mm-hmm. difficult it's going to be. And I see you do that, Jeremy, and uh, I'm always amazed at your will uh, to get up and face the day, to get ready and uh, face the day, no matter what's happening to you. And you take it in stride. I mean, you really do. And um, I think that Aaron's the same type of person. Why right. he looks at he looks at a mountain and he doesn't say, "Well, how am I going to go over it?" He goes, "How am I going to go through it?" Mm. Right, that's a good, right? Yeah, it's true, man. Well, yeah, I don't. I know there's some things in the interview that I want to talk about. You want? I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, it has, a lot has to do with what Ricardo's referring to. All right. Well, mm-hmm. let's let's uh, we'll get to it on the other side then. Um, yeah, please listen, like, rate, review, share the podcast. Appreciate you all listening, and uh, we'll be back on the other side. Here's Aaron Baker. Talk to you soon. Today on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are lucky enough to visit with Aaron Baker, who is a father, a husband, an author, an athlete, a speaker, a blogger, Wings for Life ambassador, spinal cord injury survivor. He's all the things. So, uh, Aaron, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Jeremy, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's an honor. Yeah, yeah. And I probably could have added like 10 more things to that list. This is episode 175, and I'm pretty sure you have the most titles of anybody that uh, I've had on the show up to this point. So, uh, congratulations on all your hard work, man. Well, we all have stories to tell, don't we? Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, for anybody that, you know, isn't familiar with you, doesn't already know your your story, how did you actually suffer a spinal cord injury? Sure, yeah. Back in 1999, I was an up-and-coming young professional motorcycle racer, and I had an accident one day. I went over the handlebars, and I impacted the ground head first and broke my, my neck, C4, 5, and 6. Uh, basically, I have a level C5 cervical spinal cord injury. Uh, All those years ago, I was initially uh, diagnosed as a complete quadriplegic with a, uh, you know, a a grim prognosis of of maybe a one in a million chance of ever being able to to feed myself or move or be independent, as a a lot of us can, can sympathize and empathize with. Um, That was a long time ago. And a lot has changed since then. I, I am now considered to be incomplete quadriplegic. I've had uh, an extraordinary return of function over a lot of years um, to the point uh, that I am today where I'm semi-independent. Fortunately, I have a, an amazing wife who uh, helps facilitate a lot of, of, um, of my life. My, I've had a, my mother 
over these last two decades has been an incredible support for me. And, and uh, as you well know, the importance of, of quality caregiving can dramatically change uh, a person's quality of life. So. Yeah, absolutely. So you, I, I got injured in 98. So you got injured in 99. What, you know, what does that look like for you? Where, where do they take you? Like, where do you go through rehab at, um, after your injury? Cause you're, you're down yeah. in Southern California on a practice run. If, if, um, yeah. I, I saw that correctly. Yeah, correct. No, I'm here in Southern California. I was injured in Simi Valley, which is uh, a suburb uh, northwest of Los Angeles. I was taken to Los Robles Hospital Medical Center in Thousand Oaks, California, and then transferred a month later to Northridge Hospital Medical Center, which is in the San Fernando Valley, again, just north of L.A. Spent uh, almost six months as an inpatient, which, you know, is unheard of today. You don't get that kind of time inpatient. And I, I really wasn't eager to get out of inpatient. I somehow uh, understood that that the ho- the hospital environment was the best place for me at that time uh, to care for my needs. To you know, I could learn uh, everything I needed to, and as an inpatient in rehab, and um, you know, the outside world wasn't going to be a friendly place for someone with a high level spinal cord injury. Right. So what? Um... I always ask people like what, what it was like transitioning out of the hospital, you know, that bubble that you're in when, when you're inpatient um, back into the real world. Um, and, and with you, I'm kind of, I'm curious, like what, where was your level of mobility at that point? Since you said, you know, you've, you've gotten to this point of independent, like semi-independence now um, where, where were you at uh, when you came, came home from the hospital? Well, as you said, it's a bubble, right? And that bubble burst. Um, dramatically traumatically uh, when you leave leave the walls of the hospital i had begun to stand uh with full body bracing rgos abdominal binder four-wheeled walker and assistance you know uh, uh physical therapy assistance standing me upright against gravity that began in the pool as an inpatient and i was really hell-bent on taking those tiny little steps over the threshold of the hospital back out into the world. I don't know if it qualifies as walking. It's more like just standing upright and trying not to pass out because of blood pressure. Right. Um, You know, so it's all mechanically induced. Uh, I still needed to be bathed. I still needed to be dressed. I still needed to be fed. I still needed to be picked up and transferred in and out of bed to and from a wheelchair to and from a car. I mean, I was 100% dependent. Uh, that's how I left the hospital. And for those first couple of years, that's that was life. Yeah. What, um, you know, coming, so being a young motocross, professional motocross athlete, what what is your insurance situation like at that point? I mean, you're a young guy, probably not thinking a whole lot about that, but are you so are you responsible for providing your own insurance to like the team you were riding for provide insurance and, you know, talk about that. That's something I'm always curious about. Um, Cause I, we've had a few, we've had uh, Jesse Nelson and Donovan Mitchell and uh, Paul Basagoidia and um, Taylor Nichols, who is a little less well-known uh, motocross guy um, 
but yeah, they're talk about what was that like, you know, uh, yeah, I guess dealing with insurance and we all deal with insurance after this injury and it's a nightmare, but what was that like for you? Well, those are all great guys you named off. Uh, I know, I know most of those guys really well. Um, Donovan, uh, specifically he and I are real close. Uh, he's a great guy. We, man. From, we really we, hit it off. Yeah. We come from Northern Cal. We raced a lot together when we were younger. Um, but that's a great question, Jeremy. Uh, the race team I was I was on at the time, unfortunately, unfortunately had a lapse in their policy for all their riders that, unbeknownst to us, at the time, um, which which was uh, you know a big bummer. We weren't covered, and I had the injury, and you know my medical expenses exceeded two million dollars at the time. Um, fortunately there was an, uh, a system or a program called, um, California children's services. And because I was under 21, I qualified. So that was a massive coverage, um, social security and, um, some good fundraising events that, yeah. uh, helped pick up the tab there in the early days. Wow. Uh, and then, uh, afterwards, you know, I became a dependent on the state and full-time caregiving and the system worked well for me uh, in those i'd say the first decade of my injury and for the last i don't know i'd say seven years i've been off the system completely trying to reinvest back into it for because that program worked well for me and i didn't want to be a dependent um indefinitely i i uh, i am grateful for what it what it did for me at the time and now i'd like to um, pay that forward uh, that's that's beautiful man um you, you know when you did come home from so are you I, i'm assuming you're probably if you're a professional young professional uh, motocross guy you're probably not living at home with your folks anymore um at that time no <laughs> yeah so what um you know what's that transition like did you own a house at that time are you still he's renting like where, where where did you go after leaving the hospital and like did you have to make renovations to a house to be able to get into it <laughs> oh no jeremy i was a i was a gypsy at that time in my life i was a vagabond privateer racer i mean racing for the team but you know it was it was mostly um sleeping on couches and i was staying at the race team owner's house uh here in los angeles and and so when I was injured, I had no place to go. My my family was spread out. My mother had a ranch in Oklahoma. My father was in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, the hospital was my home for, you know, half a year. And then when discharged, we we went to Motel 6. There wasn't really any place to go. Um, and so we did for, we stayed in Motel 6 for uh, about a week while, my uh, my family was looking for an option for us that was close to outpatient rehab in San Fernando Valley. We ended up finding a townhome scenario that worked well. Uh, it was accessible enough and familiar for us. It was in an area, part of town that we knew. And so that was the transition. It was a nightmare, Jeremy. I could. I can't even imagine going to a Motel Six after you know suffering this injury and having to live there for. I mean, even a week. It must have been a, a pain in the butt. That's just crazy, <laughs> man. I can't even imagine that. Um, yeah. So you know, post injury, you go through rehab and everything. Like when, 
do you kind of, and so that's another question kind of like for you and Donovan and, and everybody, because I know Donovan was living, I think at the track, he said when he got injured yeah. um, in like a trailer that they had for the riders to stay in. Um, but, you know, getting injured at that age, so you're, you know, 18, 19, whatever. And you, you know, I mean, you, I'm sure you've been riding your whole childhood, like up leading up to this point and, you know, your dreams right in front of you like what what's the mental because this injury takes a toll on you mentally regardless if you're a professional athlete or you know a plumber or a high school kid whatever the case may be like it screws you up like mentally for a while at least with me and a lot of people I've talked to um what what is that like though when your dream is right in front of you and it gets ripped you know the rug gets pulled out from under you uh, right, right. When you're kind of on the precipice of that. For me, Jeremy, it was an identity crisis. I mean, my entire sense of self, self-worth, confidence, you know, identity in life was that of a motorcycle racer, an athlete, you know, everything was very physical, you know, my expression, my personality, my, my, um, humor and everything was very, um, physically expressive. And when that that switch is flipped and no longer <laughs> able to to move at all, um, it's it's devastating. And I mean, you you can completely understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it you're basic. I was basically like a drift, you know, out to sea without a sail, um, floating on on uncertain waters. Um, completely lost, um, desperate, angry, frustrated, you know, all the emotions, the spectrum is so vast and severe, um, that, uh, you know, I was very fragile and, um, in a dark place. And at my one year post-injury mark, I, I did not want to be here, Jeremy. I, I really, was contemplating seriously suicide, um, but without the ability to physically do it, I I, I was um, trying to find ways to end my life. Wow. Well, you know, transitioning, like I'm, I'm so amazed by you because, yeah, coming from that point to, you know being a motivational speaker and, you know, sharing your story with the world and kind of, um, you know, documenting your journey. Um, where, where did that kind of take off? Cause like back then, like when, you know, when I got injured too, like, I mean, we didn't have my space at that time, I don't think. So, um, there wasn't the kind of community, the online community that there is now, but when did, you know, what made you want to start, you know, telling your story and kind of documenting what was going on in your life? Well, I did. I had a near-death experience early on, um, where pneumonia, you know, common secondary complication. My lungs filled with fluid, and I flatlined. And I remember that moment vividly. Very profound, um, very poignant uh, perspective shift. And so I had that in the back of my mind, even though, you know, my my days were closing in. The darkness was kind of collapsing around me. Uh, I found myself at the edge of a swimming pool, ready to drive my electric wheelchair into the deep end. 
and I sat there and contemplated for a good long while um, that that choice. And it was it was the memory of that near death experience. It was the memory of my loved ones, my mother, my grandmother, you know, my family that have that were loving me so unconditionally, so fiercely, despite my challenges. That it was it was all of that that kept me from jerking the joystick. Those memories kept me here, and when I backed away from the edge of the pool that day i just i i screamed at the sky you know like like lieutenant dan did uh in in forrest gump when he's just you know raging against the storm ready to be taken you know angry at the sky angry at god like just trying to uh, make peace with with his reality and that's that's essentially what i went through a reckoning uh, a conscious rebirth and uh, from that moment on I, I decided that what I was going to do is work that was the easiest thing I could do was just pour all of myself into a rebuilding of my life a redefining of who I am what I'm made of and, and the only way to do that was to just work as hard as I could at rehabilitation at understanding my body, at trying to reconnect my brain to my body, my mind to my muscles, and becoming a student of that process. And that's how I started to slowly flicker my body intentionally. And I built on that over a long, long period of time, Jeremy. Oh, wow. And so how long post-injury do you have this awakening? Uh, well, I mean, that was within that. I, I was discharged at six months. So, you know, at one year, I'm, you know, ready to end it all. It was right around that time. It was one to one and a half years. I, I start to shift my mind and I start channeling the anger. Not to say anger went away, not to say any of that. Those raw emotions went anywhere, but they became directed. Like, I channeled all of that fierce energy into the the exercises that I would do with my exercise physiology. I, I started working at the Center of Achievement, which was an adaptive rehabilitative lab at Cal State Northridge. Oh, wow. And they had a unique and specialized equipment. Everything was adapted. They were working with different uh, disabilities. And it was essentially a light bulb moment for me when I saw this facility. I was like, well, there it is. There's there's the place that I can actually exercise my demons, so to speak. Right. And and so I just channeled all that. And um, you know, after the two years, I was, you know, making more progress. At three years, I was sitting on a recumbent, you know, uh, bicycle with electrodes. Um, the flexor sizer, the, um, uh, you know, electrical stimulation and my legs started pedaling again, autonomously, um, slowly with a lot of focused, willed intention. I called it my mind connecting and forcing and willing my, my body to move. But, um, yeah, I slowly started to pedal and then I started riding again. 
That that's so amazing. Um, you know, and I know that you we're gonna get to you kind of walking across Death Valley and, and riding your bike across the country and all that in a minute. But you know, so having that experience, being an athlete, compete, being or, you know having that comp- competitive drive, what you know, so you get your legs start working um, a little bit to, to with the pedaling and the the electric the e stem and all that. What uh, when are you able to actually like get out on? Uh, the bike and ride for the first time um and like what was that experience like for you well let me qualify what a bike is that i was able to get on yeah a a, a tandem bicycle a bicycle built for two uh i i could not steer a bicycle i couldn't use the controls the brakes or the shifters my hands had to literally be uh ace bandaged or, or strapped to the handlebars my feet taped to the pedals, lifted onto the to the back seat, um, and I would just kind of be propped there. And the person in front would turn the pedals and my legs would follow. Okay. And that was uh, three and a half years or so after the injury. Um, and then, you know, from from barely five minutes because my blood pressure would would drop, my body would collapse. And I couldn't hold myself on. It was just more of an experiment to see if we could even put me on a bike seat. Um, but we slowly just kept doing that. We kept doing it, Jeremy, day in and day out. And from five minutes to five miles, five miles to 10 to 15 to 20 to an L.A. marathon, you know, years and years of work. We finally um, we finally did an L.A. marathon, 26.2 miles. That's incredible. Uh, you know, so then you're, you, as your mobility is improving, um, where, and I'm not sure which one you did first, is it walking across Death Valley or biking across the country? Well, it started with that, that tandem bicycle, um, from three LA marathons to 2007, my mom and I, and some friends, uh, we pedaled the tandem bicycle from San Diego across the southern tier of the United States, 3,182 miles to St. Augustine, Florida. Um, that's that's where the, the cycling evolved to. And on the heels of that, I had become strong enough to pedal on my own. A, uh, a special uh, three-wheeled bicycle, two wheels in the rear and one in the front, of which I still ride today. Um we pedaled that from San Francisco, 4,202 miles to Washington, D.C. We called these tours the Rise Above Tours. We spoke about the power of possibility. I would literally ride the bikes into the hospital or rehab units to community centers, and we would share you know, the story and the process of rebuilding one's life, of facing adversity, of overcoming these obstacles of never giving up of, you know, gratitude and, and possibility. So, um, yeah, these two tours were, were very important to me because it was an evolution and an expression of my recovery and purposeful because it planted seeds in other people's minds. So I did this, I did the cycling first and then I did Paralympic racing and then I walked across Death Valley. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, that's got to be incredibly just fulfilling going to these. Because I, you know, when when I was going through rehab, I'm sure if I would have had somebody pedal their bike into the to the rehab center and be like, hey, you know, this is possible. Like, that's huge, right? So, I mean, um, yeah, like that that just that must have been very rewarding for you and, and your family and your friends that were, were along with you on that journey. You make a very strong point. I kept that in mind if, you know, the shoe was on the other foot. If I if that person was coming into my my life at a time when, you know, I was I most needed it. What does that do for me psychologically? What does it do for my, you know, my motivation? So everywhere I went, I was driven by that perspective. So that's that's what kind of kept me going is the fact that, um, you know, inspiration is cyclical, right? It's a two-way street. You inspire me, I inspire you. Like we try to just push each other through this difficult time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible that you were able to do that and kind of bring that hope to people. Um, and just to think, you know, I mean, like not let alone just riding your bike across the country, but like, hey, we're going to stop at as many of these hot rehab hospitals as we can. Like, that's that's incredible. So salute to you for that. Um, Stay you know, tuned. There's more to come. OK, I can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, so, you know, walking across that, like, Aaron, I'm not trying to walk across Death Valley if I'm able bodied and, you know, I don't that just seems crazy man like where did this idea come from um and I know that uh a documentary film ended up getting made about it like they uh called coming to my senses um what how did that how did everything kind of fall into place for that um were you already like wanting to walk across death valley like what was the what was the kind of motivation for everything well in between the the um the rise above tours and walking across death valley my mother and i um co-founded a a rehabilitation center uh the center of restorative exercise was was the dream that we always held that one day we would open our own gym for special populations and give people the same opportunity that i was blessed with and we did that and that was that was really profound work for us. That that was our purpose. It was our passion. And you know, since I basically lived in the gym, it was our work, it was where I trained, it was, you know, my lifestyle. Uh I had this epiphany of of getting off the bicycle and walking under my own power. Uh I, the epiphany came to me when I was in a grocery store standing with a grocery cart and I was holding on to it going, wow, I I feel really stable and capable. I should probably do a lot of this. And, um, you know, that's, that's essentially spinal cord recovery, right? It's repetition, repetition, repetition is how you create neuroplasticity. That's how you rewire your nervous system is like thousands and thousands of repetitions and hours. Um, so with that in mind, I, I had this vision of, of the sailing stones. Have you ever heard of the sailing stones? I have not. It's, they're typically on like postcards where it's a, it's a landscape of the desert. And it's like this one lone rock, like a black rock out in the middle of nowhere. And it's so strange. Like, how does that rock end up out there? It looks wow. like a sail. And, you know, it's, it has like a little trail behind it. And you wonder, wow, that looks almost alien. 
Wow. You know, that, that image popped up into my mind and I thought, well, that's, that's me. That's how slow I move and that's where I need to go. And so I, uh, that's where the, the, the idea was hatched and I began scheming and planning. And ultimately in 2013, I found myself in the middle of death Valley walking, uh, for about a week, 20 miles across the lowest driest hottest place on the planet wow. oh my gosh and so how did you get the documentary uh film crew kind of in place like how did that all come about for you well there was there was no crew it was or no crew okay. a, friend of mine, a friend of mine at the time uh happened to be a a filmmaker he he, okay. he um had made some short format things uh one uh, that we made together called All That I Am. It's a little six-minute piece uh, kind of chronicling my cycling journey to the Paralympics. And uh, you can Google that. That's I, I'm proud of that piece. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I have that on my list of stuff to ask you about here. So Yeah, that, that's a good one. But anyhow, he, he, um, he was an adventurer, adventure athlete. He's a very strong guy. He's somebody that was competent and capable and um, – you know, I'm not just going to throw myself into a risky scenario like Death Valley without having plan B, plan C and D in order to get out of there if I need to. Right. And so he and I um, ended up, you know, coming up with the logistical plan. He said he wanted to point a camera at me when I did this. So I was going to do it whether or not, you know, it was recorded. Right. It didn't matter. I, I, it was personal. And so I, I said, yeah, go ahead. You can you can film whatever I'm doing. And so he was there for me as peace of mind. Um, and then he he captured it all on camera. And then over the course of the following three years, you know, I helped him fundraise, GoFundMe's and uh, Kickstarter campaigns and stuff in order to get the post-production of the documentary made. And he and his uh, his film company ended up selling the film to uh, a distributor that ended up putting it on Netflix and some other things. So they, they were very successful with the film and now, um, you know, it lives out there and I'm happy that people get to see it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's incredible. Um, did you, so did you guys have just like an RV like nearby that you could get into if you needed to, like how, like, you know, walking across that valley 20 miles a day is crazy so like how did you guys beat the you know stay out of the heat and uh well it was it was 20 miles over the course of a week that's how slow i was gotcha gotcha that's how far i went in total of death valley it was it was a specific stretch of the desert that we were focused on um but no we were dropped off out there and then we were picked up a week later so um the the apparatus that I had configured out of a baby jogging stroller uh, that carried all of my food and water and sleeping and umbrella. And it was basically my life support vehicle. Um, the The plan was if God forbid I needed to get rushed out of there, um, he would basically just load me up into that stroller and run me out of there. Oh my gosh, man. That's crazy. That is incredible that you guys pulled that off. That that's so amazing, so amazing. 
Um, yeah. And you know, I, I hate, like, I feel like I could talk to you for like two hours, like asking you questions that I have, but, um, you know, I, I know you have, so you've actually been a part of a, a few kind of documentaries or like short, short films, like what you mentioned, uh, all that I am, um, rising to the challenge. Uh, and then I know I, so I'm watching some videos, uh, um, on YouTube about your, your story and everything uh, a couple days ago. And all of a sudden pops up mobility in the city and <laughs> your, uh, your work with that. And, and it just so happens. So I'm in Olympia, Washington. The first, like the thing that popped up on, you know, it went from one video to the next and it was mobility in the city of Seattle. So it was kind of cool. To see. It was just like, Oh man, I want to see uh, where he goes and then what, what his thoughts are on that. So yeah. Talk about getting involved with that. Cause I think that's such a cool idea, man. Like, uh, you know, if, everybody should check those out because you do a like there's a ton of cities that you you went and visited and kind of gave your opinion on on the accessibility of them so yeah talk about that process yeah that was fun that was a you know a harebrained idea we hatched uh, i'm a spinal cord injury lifestyle specialist for shield healthcare medical supply company here on the you know, western region of the states and you know i i'm adventurous by nature and and i don't let the spinal cord injury stopped me from exploring and experiencing the world. And, you know, the idea was I'm out here doing this stuff anyways. And I love exploring via public trans, nothing special. Just what does the city offer? These are beautiful cities, you know, a lot of points of interest and things that I wanted to go see and do. And so uh, we did it guerrilla style. Uh, a great friend of mine who, again, is a, is a film maker, uh, video creator. Uh, we would just go tackle these cities. Um, and, you know, I'd never been to Seattle prior to that first filming. Oh, and wow. I was blown away by the, the steepness of those city streets and getting around uh, with the chair. Um, it was challenging, but fun. I mean, what a, what a great place to explore. Yeah, it's funny. I was, uh, I was in Seattle uh, a few months ago for the Major League Baseball All-Star game, and we had to park, you know, probably – 20 blocks away from from the field and uh come like you know, we up and down hills and like even in my power chair like it was like waning a few times because yeah, I, yeah and, and i thought that was funny you're like i had no idea that seattle had hills and you know it's it's very san francisco-esque i guess well i expected it in san fran but i didn't in seattle i i didn't realize it was so it was perched on such a hillside yeah, no, it, yeah, it definitely is. And it's funny, yeah, Seattle Underground, get get your stuff together, make that make that wheelchair accessible somehow. But it's cool know. like seeing you go up to the Space Needle too and and uh them kind of roll out or uh bring I, I wasn't sure how that all works. I haven't been there since my accident in 98. I mean, I've been there a bunch of times when I was a kid, but um now it made kind of motivated me to want to get back up there and go check that out again. So uh, appreciate yeah, doing those. That's very cool. And so, real quick, what what's your like? I guess ex most accessible city, favorite city that you went and visited in this, and what was your least favorite? I don't really have a least favorite. I mean, they all Come have. On, Aaron, you got to have something. Uh, Throw somebody I mean, under the bus, man. <laughs> Throw somebody under the bus. I'm just kidding. No, I've got I've got some big adventures on the horizon. I don't want to I don't want to knock any city. Again, I wish I I wish I would have done one with New York or or New Orleans, 
Um, you know, there's some places I still really want to to go uh, explore. I, I really did like Seattle. Seattle was one of our favorites. I mean, we had a heck of a day there going across to Bainbridge and, you know, there's, there's a lot to do. Um, my wife was on that one with me and, and she and I really enjoyed ourselves in Seattle. Pacific Northwest is gorgeous, especially if you score the weather. Yeah. Yeah. This time of year, like, especially with a spinal cord injury, like the, you know, late fall through, through the winters are a little bit tough, but um, I, I would argue that, you know, it's as beautiful here in the summertime as you can, can find in the, in the United States. So, um, Agreed. yeah. Uh, so yeah, that I'm, I'm so just like, I, I swear to God, I have a million questions I could ask you, but, uh, <laughs> let's, let's go to, uh, like, when did you get involved with Red Bull, uh, to become a wings for life ambassador? Long time ago, uh, Red Bull founded wings for life back in 2004 when uh Hines Kindergartner uh suffered a spinal cord injury his father Heinz Kindergartner uh was a multi-time world champion motocrosser he's an icon in the sport his best friend was uh the former founder owner of Red Bull Dietrich Mateschitz uh rest in peace he passed away last year but after Hannes was injured, Heinz and, and Dietrich got together and said, we need to solve this, this problem of spinal cord injury. And they thought, okay, well, let's just, let's just fundraise and, and, and uh, push science as fast as possible around the world. And, and so that's when Wings for Life was founded in 2004. And by then, I had already been injured five years. And so uh, I knew of them. We had Donovan and I both uh, had mutual friends in and around the Red Bull ethos. And I started to get involved um, on the peripheral in the mid-2000s. In 2014 was their inaugural Wings for Life World Run. And, you know, formally became an ambassador uh, for the organization. And then in 2017, I uh, was voted onto the board of directors for Wings for Life USA. And so... I've been deeply involved and extremely passionate about being a part of the solution, uh, investing in our future, and really driving research. Because if we don't do it, who will? You know, this is an injury, and injuries, if pro provided the right uh, opportunity, can heal. We have extraordinary technology, and it's going to be. I believe in our lifetime that we we uh, experience. Uh, real life-changing um, solutions to all the issues that we face with. You know, it's more than just walking again. It's There's a lot of complications, as you know full well, that are the real source of suffering for spinal cord injury. Yeah, you know, that that's the thing. I just recently saw an article um, that had statistics uh, of, you know, what somebody with a spinal cord injury would like walking was like the fourth or fifth thing down the list of what they would like to have back prior you know lack you know the the pain the neurogenic uh or the nerve pain the you know neurogenic bladder things like bladder bowel function all that sexual function all that hand function i mean hand yeah, function absolutely. hands work 100 percent. yeah i mean being a yeah being a c4 five quadriplegic like if i could just have my upper body back in full mode i would be the happiest person on earth i think so 
Uh, well, the difference in, in, in independence is his yeah. night and day between right. quadriplegia and, and paraplegia. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I did want to mention, uh, speaking of Red Bull, I saw that uh, in the uh, you had just you and uh, Paul Bassigoidi actually were the kind of the focus of a Forbes article recently. Um, and I saw that they had a picture in there of you drinking uh, out of the boot with Christian Horner. And I'm like the biggest F1 nerd now after I, you know, get watching the Netflix uh, series. And uh, I just was wondering, like, so like, is Christian Horner, like, as, like, scarily funny as he seems on the show in, in real life? He, he seems like a, a, a great guy. He's someone I would I would enjoy just spending an evening having a beer or something with. He's he's humble, he's down to earth, but he's very um, astute. He's an intelligent guy. He runs a tight ship. They are clinical over there, and they yeah. mean business. And, you know, the results speak for themselves. It's an incredible operation. Uh, um, and I was uh, I was fangirling a little bit because I, too, am a big F1 fan. I admire and respect uh, what they do as as athletes, as professionals, as an organization. Um, so it's it's top tier. It was great to be in the same room and to share a shoey. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Uh so you know, kind of wrapping up here, I wanted to get to the to your book, the the rebellious recovery, uh, transform your adversity into adventure. I love the title. Uh, you know where, how you know, has this just been in in the works for twenty plus years or twenty five years now uh, since you were injured? Like, what what kind of pushed you to to write a book? You know, talk talk about the motivation behind it all. Yeah, sure. No, you're spot on. Uh, a book has been a long time coming. Uh, I've I've entertained or romanticized the idea of writing one for many years. I've been asked to to chronicle it in in written form um, at different times, and you know, writing a book for me was not easy. To sit down and have the patience and and um, you know uh, to look back and and really be able to articulate my history was challenging. It was, it was finally done in, in 2020. I mean, when COVID hit, we had time, I'm at home. Um, my daughter was, was soon to be born. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this for her. I'm going to, I'm going to write this book. Now I have the time just, just do it just the same way I've done all these other things, you know, the same approach, sit down and commit to the process. And so I did. I, I took two years and, and poured my heart and soul into it, um, found a great team of editors and, and, and guidance uh, around me. I ended up self-publishing it, um, and I'm very proud of the book. The book, uh, a portion of the proceeds does go back to Wings for Life, so I, I feel like there's some, some pay it forward there with the book, but yeah, it's... It's something that um, I'm very happy uh, exists. We actually have another book, my uh, my company New Mind, that published this book. It's going to be publishing my mother's memoir uh, in January. It's called Rise Together, My Why, Our How, which essentially is her perspective on caregiving, of the ripple effect of trauma, of again how to how do you forge ahead. Uh, when life happens, 
that's such an interesting yeah that's such an amazing perspective to to go at it from like that that i i would yeah i would be i'm gonna definitely i'm got your book on order right now from amazon and I'll, i'll be i'll definitely have to order her book as well when it comes out so that's that's great that you're uh that you're doing that so yeah i mean and what you know transform your adversity into adventure so you're just talking a lot in the book about kind of the these adventures that you've gone on with walking across um death valley and and you know doing your trips across the uh the country uh visiting visiting the rehab centers and while you're riding your bike across the country like what yeah what, yeah it's 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 you know taking a lot of you know it's taking two decades and trying to uh, you know condense it down distill it down into um you know the most poignant stories uh, yes those big ones are chronicled in there uh but i framed it up with a methodology um uh that i call the basics method so each each part of the book is broken down into this acronym b-a-s-i-c-s and you know it talks about the mindset the the trauma and the triumph and the process and the people and it's all encapsulated in the story and i hope it leaves the reader um in a in a empowered self-contemplative uh frame of of mind that allows them to see the their own adversities in life their own um history as as an adventure and so when they inevitably continue moving forward in life that they they just shift that adversity into an adventurous perspective and they welcome the challenge and you know these things happen for us so that we can we can evolve we can grow we can share so that's there's a lot of of purpose in the book how i wrote it that that's amazing that is amazing um and yeah like what what's the reception been like for the book like what kind of feedback have you gotten on it up to this point from both able-bodied people and other other folks dealing with spinal cord injuries yeah the book hasn't reached that many people yet we didn't really put a marketing campaign around it i have some stuff on the horizon that's going to be exciting for it the audiobook launches in january but overall it's been very well received i it's been uh you know a catalyst for great conversation um both able-bodied and disabled alike can derive some form of of um you know important messaging that is relatable to their own life and journey and that's that feels really good jeremy it feels it's nice to know that that uh, it applies, the messaging applies to just humans in general, humankind. That's, uh, you know, that's what unites us all as our humanity. Right, right. Um, and one last question, I guess. What uh, are you, do you do the uh, voice? Are you the one that's uh, the voice of the Audible book? Yeah. Are you nice, man? That's, yeah. That must have been very cool to, to sit down. Yeah. I spent a couple of weeks uh, this past summer uh, in a hot audio booth, just doing all the the voices, doing some accents in there. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to check that out.
uh but yeah and then um aaron you know give us your where can people connect with you um you know get i'll, I'll attach all your social medias and your your uh, website and whatnot to the podcast notes but you know go ahead and give it to everybody so they can hear it from you too and yeah i'm 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 very easy easily accessed uh i'm aaronbaker.com i'm is the letter i the letter m without the apostrophe just i'm aaronbaker.com i'm aaron baker on social media all the different platforms uh the rebelliousrecovery.com is where the book lives also as you said you can find it on uh amazon and barnes and noble and uh, you know all the places you find books uh i have a a new project that is very exciting this is probably something i'm going to be most proud of that will be dropping next month. Are you, uh, can you talk release. about that at all? Or is that, is, is it kind of under wraps? No, I can't yet. Uh, the press release will go live next month. Okay. So please stay, stay tuned, stay close to it because, um, yeah, it's a grand venture for sure. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it, Aaron. Well, Aaron Baker, thank you so much for, for joining me, man. I can't, yeah, I'm, I'm so uh, grateful that you were uh, willing to come on and tell your story and, and, you know, talk to, talk to the audience about your journey. Well, I appreciate it, Jeremy. And thank you for um, facilitating all these great stories. There's so many people out there like, like you and me that are forging ahead despite uh, what they live with or faced with. And, you know, uh, you're creating a movement and it's important that these voices are heard. So I appreciate you facilitating that and, and living to walk again, man. Good on, good on you. Thank you, man. Thank you. We'll we'll be in touch. I'll uh, talk to you soon. I can't wait to hear what the uh, what, what the big announcement is. All right, Jeremy. Be well, man. All right, you too. Take care. All right, that was Aaron Baker. I want to thank him again for <clears throat> joining us on the show and telling us his story and just being an all around inspirational human being. Cause uh, we need that sometimes. And uh, yeah. So what'd you want to, what'd you want to talk about B from, from the uh, interview? I was just talking to, I mean, when Ricardo was saying like he was being super real about everything and how, you know, waking up and you got to face the day and going through the just regular things it takes to get through a day. Yeah. Um, and probably the point that maybe. I mean, I hate to speculate, but you or maybe anybody else might be, may have gone through, I mean, to, to contemplate maybe suicide or just like, why am I here? You know, those, those everyday struggles probably are exacerbated, you know, based on just having to have a, just be you, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that happened to you. I don't know, but it definitely happened to Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you... I never rolled up on the pool, bro. Yeah. And I was like ready to hit the switch, but I mean, well, yeah, yeah. Like, I've definitely, you know, like you saw, yeah, you definitely are like, what, what am I doing here? You know, at, at certain points, like early on, especially in this injury, <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, I mean, and it is as a quadriplegic, there's not a ton of ways you can commit suicide, <laughs> right? Yeah, fortunately. Yeah. I mean, where like especially like where you can guarantee like yeah, oh yeah. I could like go roll down the stairs, but like am I for sure gonna no, fucking you're probably die? Gonna just get hurt or am I just bad. gonna hurt myself yeah. worse than I already am? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. So you know the thing is, is that I always find inspiration in all the stories that your people tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, and 
the thing why, is, why they gotta be my people? Regarding well, I mean the people that you, <laughs> the people that you. What pick, do you mean by my people? Yeah. People that you pick up and interview. Yeah. Those are your people. Podcast right. so, guests. Yeah. yeah, yeah, your podcast Absolutely. guests. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, I'm pretty moved by a lot of the stories. You know, yeah. um, you know, For getting sure. to 62 and, uh, you know, being able to live a pretty good life. You know, um, without a lot of disabilities. But a lot of times when I hear the stories of what happens you know it happens to older people you know too you know you have a stroke and next thing you know you know you don't want to give up right because life really is worth living yeah i mean and i think it's really shows when you have somebody like aaron talking to you jeremy about how great your podcast is for people mm. Mm. you know yeah. i know you don't like hearing that i know you really don't like hearing it but it's pretty freaking fabulous yeah. You know? So when I'm feeling a little down, I go listen back and listen to some of the old ones. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of good stories in here. You know? Yeah. You know, Ricardo, I've never heard of a better idea. If you're <laughs> down, go, you know, throw on the Live to Walk Again podcast. Yeah. Right, absolutely, man. Yeah. We'll, we'll put it in perspective. Story for you. after yeah. story of overcoming exactly. things, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially the premise of the whole podcast man mm-hmm. um i know the goal is to to find a cure for paralysis but i mean when you look at the um the catalyst of it it's really like overcoming adversity yeah. uh a lot of the guests at least i mean yeah. you got cor- corporations like red bull you know involved in this you got doctors that do dream studies and doctors mm-hmm. that do plant studies yeah. I mean, somehow there's going to be a link there, right? right? That's just going to go, oh, boom. Yeah. You know, we do A, B, C, and sometimes D, and next thing you know, you know. Yeah, and shout out Aaron, because uh, he is actually on the board of directors for Red Bull's Wings for Life, so that's pretty awesome, man. I'm uh, excited for him with that, and uh, and I think they they do great work, Um you know, all the money that they raise goes straight to like hundred percent of it goes to, um, to, uh, look, searching for, you know, to research for spinal cord injury. Oh, really? Research yeah. And yeah. Stuff. So they, they're not, yeah. they're not pocketing anything from it. Um, yeah, man. So good on them. You know, but yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a part of that as well. I mean, this guy's done like amazing. He wrote his, he wrote a bike across the country twice. Yeah. Like visiting rehab facilities and like, you know giving people hope i mean that's fucking powerful man. yeah like at the it, end of the day like yeah i always had wild. the dream of riding a bike across the country but i never did it you know i mean mm. and here's this guy you know who you know just says you know i'm gonna do it i'm gonna set my mind to it and do it you know so yeah. and the other thing um i had a thought there jeremy was that um you know the 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 long amount of um, what I'm always shocked about is the amount of rehab that you got and the amount of rehab that Aaron had. Yeah. Yeah. We got a lot compared to what people get now. Yeah. Yeah. One of your current guests was only in there like a month or so. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people, they don't give you much time at all anymore. Um, And that's been like a big thing for a while now that, you know, it's like you get injured now. It's like they try to have you, in and out within you know a few weeks so um it's and it's so important like i mean just yeah like all of it uh just the the whole um you know like just getting used to like your new reality is is tough 
regardless of how much time you have, but like a lot of these rehab facilities have like multiple people that are dealing with spinal cord injuries, stuff like that. So it's like almost like, uh, you know, getting used to the, uh, acclimated to the, to the community too. So yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's, it's interesting though. Like it's unfortunate that they don't, these insurance companies don't give people more time, but you know, got to make the best of it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we also want to make sure we plug his book yep. on this this uh, podcast today. He is a, obviously uh, an author too, so he's got a number one bestseller on, and on Amazon that you can pick up. It's called The Rebellious Recovery, so I suggest going to grab that book right now. It's, I mean, has a, a lot of these cool stories he's talked about in this. Yeah, I was it, hoping I was going to have it here before uh, before we recorded, so I could prop it up and. and well, show the and you're you're a big reader, so I'm yeah. sure you would have already read it as yeah. well. So, yeah. but so, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it though for sure. So we'll put the link for the for the book in the podcast description. Absolutely, yeah, and, you can pick that up. And then he said he's also going to have a audio copy. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be reading the audio uh, version, yeah, which will be great for people that can't. Yeah. Read too good like yeah, exactly. me. <laughs> uh, or me. Yeah, Andy I mean, said, I prefer Audible or, yeah. or Libby anyways. So. Right. Andy said he's got another, like, some big project coming out. Yep, still. Uh, yep. I tried to get him to tell us, man. I was like, it's just me and you. Just tell me. Yeah, he wouldn't do it. He wasn't going to have it. But, no, he said the press release is coming out soon. Oh, that was the other thing, man. I saw – so I just was, like, watching YouTube videos of him or whatever, interviews with him, trying to come up with questions for him. And it like rolled into the next YouTube video, and it was this um, ability in the city series that he oh, did. Oh yeah, yeah, with, that was really um, cool. Shield Healthcare, and like the first one that just popped up was him in Seattle of all places. I was like, oh crap, I gotta sit and watch this one. And uh, it was pretty interesting. When he rides like the light rail in from the airport, and then like cruises around downtown, and you know he's just like, like had no idea they had hills here like they do in San Francisco. This is yeah. crazy. So he was a uh, showing kind of his ways of getting up and down hills when uh you know when you're in a sticky situation like that so yeah was, certainly uh, areas of downtown seattle get pretty steep yeah. yeah yeah but he said he 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 said he really enjoyed his time in seattle and said it was beautiful up here yeah, yeah so nice so especially in the summer yeah i mean nowhere nicer i don't think man there's um, actually a map somewhere. I think um, the city of Seattle has it where if you have a disability, you can go from one building to the next building to go up the stairs through oh. escalators from First Avenue to Second, Third, Fourth, wow. and Fifth. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. And you can go through the buildings to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Yeah. Unfortunately, they close at five o'clock. Yeah. Or something I mean, stupid of course, like that. it's still going to be yeah, but, somewhat difficult, but at least yeah. they've. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten in some sketchy situations in Seattle though, man. Like at Pike's Place Market, like it's it's all it's like, like screw yeah. it, man. Let's ride. Let's just ride down this steep ass uh, embankment or whatever. Oh yeah, and then there's no cutouts on the curbs down no, there because no, they want to keep it historically perfect. Oh, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and then he said like the only two things he couldn't do were that he wanted to do. I think were like the the underground tour and the duck boat rides. He's like. Those are the only two things I couldn't get on. Oh, that sucks. Wheelchair accessible. Do better duck boat rides. I don't even know if those are still open or not. Probably. Are they? Because I remember there was that crash on the bridge or whatever. Like a whole, whole boat full of uh, That's right. foreign exchange students died or something. Oh, man. Yeah. Just yeah. rest in peace. But anyway, um, 
<laughs> Back to the podcast. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> I digress. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, so, yeah, check out the show. Aaron Baker, appreciate you coming on. It yeah. was fun. Uh, I think next week we're going to have another episode of uh, my interviews with Willie, Willie Frank III, uh, chairman of the Nisqually uh, nation had a good conversation with him and a historian over the weekend which was pretty fun so gonna gonna dive into that one a little bit and love then, that. Uh, yeah so we'll uh be back next week i hope you guys all have a great one thank you for listening share this rate it review it all that good stuff appreciate you all thanks jay yep thank you jeremy